Welcome everyone. <clears throat> we'll begin our, our, our sitting. One of the things that some of you uh, might be unaware of, <clears throat> excuse me, um, because so many of you are from uh, other settings and would not have been in the Zendo in Austin, in Alfamata, in, in the past. And for many, many years when we um, held this inquiry time, um, we would sit for uh, 15 minutes together and then I might offer a reflection for about the same amount of time, about 15 minutes. Uh, and then people would come forward. <clears throat> During this time online, in the last year, through COVID especially, we've sat for a, a shorter time, only about five minutes, and I've spoken for a little bit longer. Um, it, it was sort of an unconscious, um, I, didn't, I didn't plan it that way in, um, in any sort of strategic way. Um, I think because we're not sitting in the same room, um, maybe I naturally made the sitting a little shorter. And because there seemed to be so much uh, need and request from so many people, I spoke a little bit longer. Uh, but I do want to uh, shift a, a little bit and uh, may maybe sit for a little bit longer today, maybe 10 minutes rather than five. It's, I think it's better for us to sit a little more. and. Uh, also, I'll say more about uh, going forward at, at that point. So just so you know, if you have an expectation based on what you've experienced in the past uh, online, um, and it's an invitation, of course, to, uh, to assume that you are in the Zendo with others. Um, the, the old saying, which so many of you have heard before, is uh, when you're alone, practice like you're with others. And when you're with others, practice like you're alone. It's like when you're alone, don't assume, well, you can do whatever you want because nobody's around. But practice with as much uh, dignity and determination and care as if you're with others. And when you are with others, don't worry about comparing yourself. Practice as if you're alone. So both things are, are important as we begin our, our sitting now.
this simplified space that we're sharing, if you allow your attention to rest simply on your breath and your body, just noticing the sense of groundedness and presence of just sitting. The rhythm of inhaling and exhaling. Many other things will float through your mind and your body. Thoughts and feelings, memories, projections, concerns, delights. Continue to offer your attention to your breath and your body, even as these things move through this simplified space. Rather than chasing after them, just let them move on their own. Not trying to stop them, not trying to engage them, just sitting becoming the space in which they move by just being your body, being your breath.
thus is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. a lovely thing and a radical thing actually to be able to sit together. It's, it seems like for so many people um, nothing. Um, but it is not a nothing in which you're waiting for something. It's the, the powerful release of everything so that you can just sit and know who you are. It's the foundation of inquiry. <clears throat> As many of you know, we're moving, um, I, I certainly and Peg and I are, are moving through the, the final month uh, towards when I'll um, travel to Chicago for the final week of ceremonies that um, support this process of Dharma transmission. Uh, which is a, a, a wonderful and powerful and mysterious thing. Hopefully, that will be allowed to happen. Um, COVID and vaccinations, we'll see. But in this last month, while I'm still here in Hawaii, before I leave for that week of deep immersion and retreat and ceremony. <clears throat> we are, as always, um, practicing as a dedicated path through uncertain times and uneven territory. This is always true, but right now I'm reminded of this dedicated path because of the ceremonial way in which I'm moving through these weeks. We're reminded of uncertain times because of what's moving around us in this very uneven and unpredictable territory. And because that is the path of practice always, and because it's a deepening path uh, during this time, uh, what I'd like to do over these weeks before I leave is speak about one of my important teachers each week, but, but not a way of uh, talking about the person, or about my own spiritual history, those things will come up. But it's what unfolds between, which is inquiry, because that's what happens here. What unfolds between is where the real liberating intimacy, as Peter Hershock calls it, that's where uh, freedom actually emerges, not inside a person, but between. 
So I'd like to just walk with some of my ancestors through these last weeks and have you walk with us on this dedicated path through uncertain times and uneven territory. Uh, Dogen Zenji, some of you know this name, a 13th century uh, Japanese monk who brought uh, these practices uh, from China to Japan and whose lineage um, I've been ordained in and then joining the uh, same lineage that Peg is in and our teachers. Uh, when Dogen wrote his own vow, these are just a few of the words in it. This is just a couple of sentences. It's old-fashioned language, but just listen to the poetry of it. He's talking about bodhisattvas, about those of us dedicated to this path. He says, may they, um, the, the ones who came before us, our teachers, may they share with us their compassion, which fills the boundless universe with the virtue of their enlightenment and teachings. Buddhas and ancestors of old are as we, we in the future shall be Buddhas and ancestors. Revering Buddhas and ancestors, we are one Buddha and one ancestor. Awakening Bodhi-mind, we are one Bodhi-mind because they extend their compassion to us freely and without limit. We're able to attain Buddhahood and let go of the attainment. It's such a beautiful piece, I think, that everyone who's come before us, whether it's someone that you would think of as um, a Buddhist practitioner, but it includes my great-grandmother Callahan and my grandfather Perry and my English teacher from high school and on and on. May they all share with us their compassion, which fills the boundless universe with the virtue of their enlightenment and teachings. And you all have these people. And then that beautiful line, Buddhas and ancestors of old are as we, they're just like us. And we in the future shall be Buddhas and ancestors. Now that sounds a little elevated, but really it means everyone who follows us will rest on and be informed by and nourished by and encouraged by who we become and who we are. And when we revere Buddhas and ancestors, we pay attention to those who have come before us, we join them. This is some of what the ceremony is about, but it doesn't have to be ceremonialized. This is true. We're joining this dedicated path. And because they extend their compassion to us freely and without limit, we're able to attain, wake up with them and then let go of the attainment. It has nothing to do with attainment. It has to do with releasing everything's and just being that compassion and that wisdom, which is what we chant at the end. So today, having given you that, that sort of orientation to the way I'm thinking these days and how I would like to walk through these times, I, I want to reflect on my primary ordination teacher today, Blanche Hartman, and use one of her teachings um, as an invitation for you to reflect on your life and your practice for our inquiry today. 
And if you have her little book, if you have ever seen it, called Seeds for a Boundless Life, there's there are the very short pieces of some of her talks and teachings, and one of them is called Living a Life of Vow. Living a Life of Vow. And since this is some of what um, we're investigating in our practice and what I'm uh, plunging into in this ceremonial time, I thought it would be good to reflect on what, what did she have to say about this? And in the opening piece, as she, she spoke in the recording, she mentions the um, opening line of the invocation of the both the precepts ceremony and the priest ordination ceremony. I've used it many, many times because as her student, I heard her talk about it many, many times. And so uh, it has meaning for me. And that line in the invocation says, in faith that we are Buddha, we enter Buddha's way. In faith that that's our true nature. That's the entry point, not that we enter and hope that someday to become a Buddha. We, in faith that we are a Buddha, we enter Buddha's way. And during the ceremony, many things unfold. There's a place in receiving the precepts, both in the Jukai, the precepts ceremony and in ordination. There is a vow to follow this compassionate practice even after becoming Buddha. To follow, even after a great awakening, it says, will you vow to follow this compassionate practice? Meaning, this activity of our practice is the awakening. It's not something you can attain. It's something that you live. And will you follow this compassionate practice? So, in these lines, we have faith, and faith that we are Buddha, and we have vow vowing to follow this compassionate practice. And Blanche says in her writing, she says, so here we have both faith and vow, which together with practice, our sitting, I have found to be the three main supports of my life. And certainly they become mine. And she writes further, she says, this has come as a, a rather a surprise to me and then she goes on to talk about how she majored in college in chemistry and probability theory. <laughs> and so she's a scientist. And she said, I thought of myself as a very practical person, more inspired by logic and reason than by faith and devotion. One definition of devotion is to be of vow. That certainly means you know, loyalty, steadfastness, faithfulness, fidelity. And then she says, but I've come to realize that the people in my life who really inspired me and encouraged me were people of deep faith and devotion. And those qualities have been contagious. And certainly the faith and devotion that I experienced in being with her, um, I caught. <laughs> it was um, very contagious. and offering herself in the world uh, with whatever um, 
qualities of compassion and wisdom and care that you bring. Each person is different. Those are the gifts which help others continue and follow on this path. They inspire and encourage other people. She goes on in just this brief uh, talk. She says, as stated in the invocation above, the one I mentioned, the faith I am speaking of is not faith in something external. You don't have faith in something over there. It is the faith that, and then she quotes, all beings have the wisdom and compassion of the awakened ones, but because of their attachments and delusions, they don't realize it. This is a statement that Shakyamuni Buddha made on the morning of his awakening. All beings have the wisdom and compassion of the awakened ones, but because of their attachments and delusions, they don't realize it. It's a radical, radical faith in basic goodness. The wholeness of all beings. And this two sides of this equation, in a way, um, you've heard probably the very well-known statement, which Blanche quotes as uh, something that he heard him say in the first lecture she attended uh, 50 some odd years ago, when he said, Suzuki Roshi said to his students, you're perfect just like you are, and you could use a little improvement. Stating both Yes, you have the wisdom and compassion of the awakened ones. And our practice is about making your best effort on each moment, knowing that there are uh, delusions and attachments which prevent us from knowing and feeling and expressing and living that truth. So even though we're already complete, we do require a good bit of effort to actualize the wisdom and compassion of our basic nature. Not to create our Buddha nature, to release it, to reveal it, to shine a light on it, to awaken it. And this is where the devotion comes in. By entering the Buddha's way, we enter a life of vow. Uh, this is what I'm enacting every day over and over and over in this ceremonial form. At the end of uh, lectures in a, in a temple, usually the Bodhisattva vow is chanted. We, we chant the four practice principles here at the end of our inquiry. Today, I'm going to put up the full, um, Bodhisattva vow. We're going to chant it together. And it's an immense vow. You'll see it. Some of you who know it are aware of this, but it's very, very big. And the question is, my goodness, how am I going to do this? It's the scope being like a big vow isn't really, in some ways, the, the, the point. It's, it is immeasurable. It's, it's, it's not attainable. And it means it's an endless vow. It's endless. Here's Blanche once again in her last bit. She says, when I first came to practice, I thought, I'm a mess now, but I'm going to get straightened out. And then I'll get on with my life. That's how she thought about practice. After some years, I realized, I'm never going to get finished with this. 
momentarily I was disappointed. And then I thought, oh, that means I'll never use up this practice. I can never wear it out. It will last my whole life. And certainly my experience is that it has become my whole life. I came to practice because I thought I was a mess and I would get straightened out too. And well, we all, all as I have said many times, messy miracles, uh, which is another way of saying we're, we're Buddha, but because of our attachments and delusions, we don't realize it. We are an expression of that sort of miraculous wholeness and perfection. And by offering ourselves to an endless vow and letting that become the path on which we walk, we become a support and we become a, a function of care in the world for others, not just for ourselves. We become the Buddhas and ancestors by following the Buddhas and ancestors, by a life of vow, a life of faith. Not faith in something outside, but in a faith in our own true nature. And so, so we sit. So hopefully this gives you not only a flavor of her uh, teachings, some of which you, you may have heard before, of course, but how it's also been important to me. And I'm really curious about how these aspects of faith and vow, of deep practice, um, inform and encourage or challenge you in your life. And what, what things might be called forward because it's only in the meeting, uh, you know, I could read all of her teachings, but it was in the meeting day to day of sitting with her, working with her, uh, training with her, that I began to take in not just that woman, but what she carried in that endless vow and the way of life that she demonstrated uh, which was encouraging to me and inspiring to me, like she said her teachers were to her. So please raise your hand if you have uh, questions or things that you'd like to explore that have meaning for you, something that actually has meaning. Um, I would love to meet with you. You don't have to have a well-formed question or anything inspiring to, to offer. Come like I do to the the meeting room with the teacher stumbling in, not exactly knowing, but um, longing for uh, for what's what's most true. You're on. <laughs> all right. Um, hi, I've missed you all. So it's uh, so wonderful to have the gallery view and to sit with everybody and just see all of the faces was. Uh, was really nice. Um, so, uh, you know, what prompted the, the raising of the hand was we're all of the Buddha nature, as you were just saying. Uh, and 
I feel like like I'm remembering like love brings up everything that's not itself. And so like if I am brood in nature, that even just that thought brings up everything that's not that's not to me. Um, and how would you know? How would you witness? How, how are you aware of those things that you're calling not Buddha nature? I, I guess some part is witnessing and making judgments and having a bit of knowing, like uncertainty. Well, there is an awareness that witnesses it all, aside, including the judgment, including the, <laughs> I mean, there's just basic awareness, which is right there in the media. I guess that was the part that was even just enjoying seeing everybody's faces, like okay. just being able to, to hold all of that and, and bring it in. Um, As you do that, all those things about I'm not like that, or what do they think of me, or do they, am I, you know, a million things that can come up in people's minds. And that's why I was encouraging people to notice that, that those things move through, but not identify with them, and instead watch them and come back to the body and the breath. Just doing that over time, again and again and again and again, helps us begin to realize those things are very impermanent. And that what you're resting in is this body and this breath, this basic awareness, and you're less uh, identified with, less blended with mm. things that arise. And so, like right now, what I'm feeling is very nervous. Uh huh. Like you That's know, I'm just I'm just talking to my friends, and right. and so why is there all this um, shakiness? Well. Intimacy is powerful. Oh yeah, right. And and love is very strong. And there hadn't been a lot of that for me here lately. So yeah. If you began to soften whatever barriers, whatever you want to call it, you know, the things you had talked about, as those soften and we actually meet, which is the reason, that's really powerful. Yeah. There's a long out breath with that too. Good. And the willingness to actually meet in that immediacy, the simplicity of just care is what we long for, but what most of all that other stuff protects us from because it's shaky. Yeah. What a, what a weird concept to put up a barrier for the thing that we want. That's, and I think if I'm not speaking out of turn, you, you correct me because you're the authority on this. Because both of us grew up in pretty traditional, um, I would say almost fundamentalist kind of backgrounds religiously, in which the natural human longing was put way out there. Yeah. And, and later, somebody else, some other time, and there's a reason, I'm not judging, I'm just saying it's a, that's one model. And then mostly what we looked at is the barriers we call sin. The idea wasn't that your basic essence was goodness. Mm -hmm. And then when we met and you saw the enactment of what I've been talking about today, mm -hmm. what happened? 
I, my life turned on a dime. I, what was the physical sensation? What happened in your body and what happened in your heart and your mind? Like that day at the wedding that I was put, okay. Um, I, I, I broke open. I mean, it was, it was a shattering of a way that I had attempted to stop any kind of spiritual engagement at all. I, I, I considered that a dangerous thing. And I still can, there's a part of me that still considers it a dangerous thing. Yeah, and when you said faith, I went faith, oh, trigger word, you know, fuck, right. don't tell me to be blessed or I'm out of here. <laughs> and the reason I'm asking you to describe it in our conversation is because that big distance that you were taught yeah. suddenly went, Boom. Yeah. Oh, there's no distance, and that's shocking. Yeah. It's why people are afraid to raise their hand and come forward. Yeah. And in that, you were just minding your own business, trying to be a photographer. Right. I didn't come with seeking mind. I, I fell in love with the process. Because it was irresistible. Right. It snuck in. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> through through a lens, <laughs> which right. is an intimate place that you know. I, I re you you remember every photograph you've taken. You know, there's there's something. It there's takes something you. It's imprinted on the sensor in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so once again, the reason I'm asking you to describe these things is not to say, "Oh, great, look what happened." It's what opens between when we allow ourselves. Is what all the practice is about. And this is the way we share that compassionate path together on unsteady ground through uncertain times. Not by hoping for something someday, but by holding hands today in this endless vow. Or like you and I do. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that was that was what I was remembering. Mm -hmm. A little um, so what's your embodied experience now? Oh, I feel warm and loving and cared for and caring. You know, I feel both the container and being able to reach to others and, yeah. and, and sit with them. It's, it's interesting because it's so fantastic, as you named, when you come on and you see everybody's face. And as you uh, deepen into what you've just done, now there's also this desire to send all this love back yeah yeah for sure mm -hmm. yeah thank you thank you and to you all we have peg oh good my buddy in this process <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I just wanted to say a little bit in response to what you've been talking about um, that might um, uh, might have some bearing on how people view this, because I think sometimes we um, think uh, of a vow as a promise we make. Mm -hmm. And that's not exactly the way we understand it. And I think some people are very surprised to discover themselves in vow mm -hmm. um, because it's more like an energetic force 
that's moving through you, you are always um, in vow, but you're not always aware of what your vow is or how you're- and, uh, Promise is more like a parent to a child. Yes. And so many people see either religious or spiritual things as that, which is what Cassie and I were talking about. Right. And they'll say, I don't feel ready to make that vow. So it's, you know, there's some, some uh, um, uh, kind of milestone you need to reach or something mm -hmm. in order to be able to do that. But I think it's more this gradual recognition over time as you practice, as you're, you continue to move in the direction of what's calling you. Mm -hmm. um, and you begin to see, you may not ever be able to articulate it in words what that vow is, but you can feel it, it's embodied. I like what you just said about the, you turn in the direction. It's almost like a big sunflower turning toward the sun. You right. Naturally but it's not thinking about that. that, it naturally turns. Or I sometimes think of it as the vow is true north and you're the needle. Right. <laughs> you know, so you struggle when you're not headed in the direction of your vow. You're struggling. And then when you're in alignment with your vow, everything opens up effortlessly. It's not something you're trying to fulfill. Yeah. So yeah, like trying to go in the direction that's not the <laughs> which is how most of the most of life feels a lot of times. You know? Yeah. And such a struggle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought I would throw in my two cents worth about that because oh, it was my experience. I never anticipated that Zen would be a devotional practice. I expected it to be a mind-based practice. Yep. That it would be something cognitive or intellectual that would be resolved in some burst of illumination when you were enlightened or something, you know, mm -hmm. a very naive understanding of it. Um, and so it has surprised me how deeply devotional uh, the experience has been for me um, and uh, not uh, that's not my tendency so yeah and that was what um, uh, Blanche was saying and you know what Joko ran a chemistry department I mean is that right she right. wasn't like this religious person no no not at all she was you know raising four kids as a single mom and and, and a husband <laughs> dealing with a bunch of Nobel laureates with an attitude you know so yeah. And suddenly, why would you want to follow her? Yeah. As Blaine said, there's a quality that that helps you find that orientation. Yeah. Yeah. You, it's sort of like you recognize, oh, this is sort of the um, defining true north for me. Well, I was sort of floundering around, needles sort of going all different ways, you know. Which and most so of us can't explain in the beginning. It's like, I don't get it. I, I, I feel it. I feel the faith and the devotion to it. I can't explain it. Yeah, that's right. And and the logical mind just gives up after a while. It's just like I can't analyze this. I can't. Um, it's like it's like your love for a child. You know, um, it doesn't have a you know logical analytic component. It's um, yeah. It's that falling in love is a good way to talk about it. Also, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that well, thank you for I, one more piece that you mentioned. I want to highlight because it's important. Is that we can uh, sometimes explicate and get clearer about our vow, but it's not. We're, we always are living by some vow. Yes. And some of those are more wholesome than others, and some are more explicit than others. 
But if you look at your life, you'll see what you're dedicated to. Yeah. And the one that is that lines you up with true north, to use your metaphor, which I like, it's like Wordsworth talking about wanting to be a poet. And he said in one of his poems, he, he talks about a moment where he said, I made no vows, but vows were made for me. Yes. And what he's talking about is the realization of that I need to go forth like this, not what everybody's telling me to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really, it's important that felt embodied sense of it. This is why we put so much emphasis on, uh, on embodiment and sitting. That's right. Because yeah. those subtle ways in which we realize it start coming up through the body. So. And I think that also I hope people get a sense of <laughs> it's kind of fun. once you and I get going. <laughs> but, but part of it has to do with uh, the, the, the care and the way in which we recognize something in each other that, oh, here's a friend that I can walk with. Here's a friend that will be with me. Here's a friend that I can feel a devotion with and to and will help me understand faith. Yeah. And those those spiritual friends are like we talked about in the last few weeks, so important. Or someone who will take an elbow when, when we stumble, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much. You are welcome. And like I said, if the uh, COVID cases and things are willing, then I'll be in that room with her. <laughs> at the end of August to begin those final ceremonies. Don't let us get in your way, please come forward. <laughs> Hi, hi, Flint. Can I ask you a question first thing? Uh, of course. Say your name. Rosemary. Some people will say Rosemary and some people say Rosemary. True. And some sometimes the way that they say Rosemary sounds like Rosemary also. Yeah. So yes, it's it's the Italian way. Okay. 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 So um, when you um, in the beginning, you talked about what happens between the teacher and the student. I just got very emotional. I wanted to share that. It's, and yeah, it's just a, um, and uh, probably that aspect of all of this work is um, the, all of the in-betweens, all of the connections, all of the sharing and the back and the forth and, the raising the hand and the, yeah. Um, you know, I think for me, as most of you know, I'm pretty much a beginner, um, it's been so nourishing. And I think that's what um, is the closest thing to a vow that has, um, it's just there and it's kept me going and kept me engaged. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to share that. And using the following up on what Peg said, uh, 
nourishing your own child, you would do anything to make sure your child had nourishment. Exactly. And it's that same uh, feeling. Yes. In a certain way. Yeah, and the the um, open open heartedness of the whole mm -hmm. thing, um, which allows that nourishment to happen, um, that has really been um, a major thing for me too. This morning I was doing the um, loving kindness meditation to myself, and the first phrase, um, "May my body, may this body be at ease." Fine, yes may this heart be open. And when I really took kind of a deeper look at that, I go, whoa, that's, that's a lot. That's a big aspiration. It was, you know, I just, the immensity of that was um, really kind of hit me and I kind of stayed with that, but that, and that's what I feel um, community is so helpful with because you can't have that open a heart and with everything that's going to hit it and I'll come to it. And here's another piece of it. Just where did you do your psychotherapy training? Um, Psychoanalytic Institute in Manhattan. Right, right. A yeah. very esteemed place with wonderful people and very, very solid stuff. Imagine, imagine a consultation, a clinical case study group at the end saying, together. May your body be at ease. May your heart be open. May your mind be boundless. May you awaken. It's everything that all those techniques are actually designed to do. It's just the practice cuts to the chase. Yeah. It's not yeah. that there's something wrong with the psychotherapy is very useful. I've spent my life doing many of those things as well. And they're very, very useful techniques and, and, a, and a good path. But the the sense of opening one's heart and removing the barriers so that your body can be healthy and at ease. And so you can be in relationships that function well together. It's all about love anyway. Yeah, I, I would have to say the training was a little lacking in those aspects. But that's what's it, behind it. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely, it's I so, agree. It's, it's a complicated version of, and so when you meet the practice, it sort of hits you because yeah. it bypasses everything else. And you realize, oh, this is what I've been looking for all along. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks. When you said your name again, I, then I suddenly had images I didn't have before. Italian, Catholic, Mary, the Rose, Rose Marie. Oh, okay. Had a, now I have a whole new image. And unmuted, okay. Oh, okay. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, I couldn't not raise my hand, I guess, is what, what the truth is. And <laughs> I think, come up, huh? <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> um, Yeah, a couple things are going through my mind, and it's in part because Vow is like so central to my own study and to my own practice. Um, but I've noticed that I, 
there's some pitfalls for me. There's places I get stuck. And I think what's arising in me is realizing that it depends what part of me is saying the vow. Um, It matters deeply. Yeah, yeah, it matters deeply because my conditioning is to feel that I'm failing on some level, right? And even though, of course, a, a vow, because of its vastness and that it is our North Star, it's not a bar that we're setting for ourselves. And of course, it couldn't be. It's not even realistic at all. Um, you know, but it's our orientation in our life. But my, I, get, I get pretty caught in the places of feeling that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not meeting it and I'm not doing it, you know, even as my intention is to, to, but then I was thinking like, oh, that's probably just because it's a, it's just a part of me <laughs> that that's identifying, but is small and is not the wholeness. That's right. And is that part attempts to be the one who can achieve the vow? it's probably useful to allow her to try it over and over until she finally relinquishes it because she can then rest back in to the larger space of your true self. Right. Yeah. Instead of trying to stop her or fix her, it's like, come, come back, come back. It won't surprise you, Flint, but the, the part that's triggered so often for me is in parenting. It's feeling that wall of like, you mean the hardest I can have, in the world? <laughs> right. I can have, you know, the deepest intentions of that open heart and of being present and caring and, and wholehearted and all of it. And, ooh. Yeah. 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 But it's, a, it's, it's kind of a lovely realization that I can I can rest that part that wants wants to do it perfectly that wants to somehow overcome all my practice right the other thing that's coming up for me is this past um Sunday we had our first internal to to, um open door precept ceremony that Suzanne led it was leading it right? right Right. So hearing you talk about the ceremony and quoting from it was very like, oh. And the thing that really, really struck me about that ceremony was to hear the people taking the precepts and saying, yes, I will. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Over and over and over again. And it it just struck me as like, oh, maybe I should add that to my daily practice. (laughs) I say my vow, I sit, I do it, you know, I have this whole practice, but like this, yes, I will. There is something about, okay, this is really hard. And, but yes, yes, I say yes to life. I say yes, yes to this practice. And you've heard me say that the bottom line is what? um, Yeah, okay, okay, I'll live my life. Right. Yes. I'll choose it. And you've also said, yes, thank you very much. I have no complaints whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) That that last little part, maybe I need a little work, but yeah. Yeah. 
it's so meaningful and you going through this process i can just say it's so so meaningful for many of us it's so. the only reason to go through it yeah it supports and encourages others it's not for me and of course it i know that supports me just as an example um um, well, I don't know, I'll put you on the spot, but I'll ask. You, the vow that you say each day? Yeah. Would you say it? Oh, sure. i tell you why I'm asking. It's not uh, for you to show off or to say that, oh, this is how it should be done. It's that as we're coming to a close here, it's a good way for just a student to say to the teacher and the community, this is what I'm vowing, will you support me in it? And it's just a way of helping people hear that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I vow to live with a soft front and a strong back, remembering the boundless support of the great mother earth the ancestors, the grandmothers, the teachers and spiritual friends. So that I may live with a heart that is open and courageous enough to attend to my own suffering, to heal what can be healed, to let go of what is not mine to carry and to forgive my own limitations and the limitations of others. May this open space in me for more life and love and joy to flow through. I vow to be with and bear witness to the suffering of others. May I have the courage and the wisdom to offer care and compassion and the skillful means to turn us a little bit more towards freedom. I vow to honor the three treasures of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, dedicating myself to practice, to spiritual friendship, and to, to practice, to study, and to spiritual friendship. And I vow to remember that I am alive that this life in this body, in this time, in these circumstances is a great gift and how I choose to live it is sacred. May the gratitude and awe that I feel flow through my actions. And thank you for that offering. Thank you for being my teacher. This is what we've come to the end of our time. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and uh, invite the uh, transition and hopefully many of you will stay and, uh, and visit with each other and allow these kind of things to open with each other. Maria. Thank you so much, Flint. Affirmada's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. 
There is a link for contributions on the website at apamada.org forward slash contribute. This link will give you an opportunity to offer down to teachers such as Peg and Flint, as well as other teachers. Also, you'll see an opportunity to contribute towards events such as classes and practice discussions. Thank you so much, everybody. And we now move on to the next part of our morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, where we continue to meet and share on the virtual porch. So please join myself and others if you are able to, and I'll see you shortly. And please take a couple of minutes break if you wish to. Thank you so much.